What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark Devoe. Before we start this week's very exciting episode, we'd like to say thank you to all of you for listening to this podcast, for making this possible, because it would be pretty sad if Mark and I were just chatting to each other. It would be fun if we were just chatting to each other, but it's lovely to know you're out there doing the washing up, walking, gardening, listening, driving, or maybe procrastinating when you should be writing, folks. But more on that later. Um, but we'd like to thank you all. And we'd just particularly like to thank all of our patron supporters and all of our Academy members yes, who yes, make yes. this podcast happen. So if you'd like to get involved with either of those, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to become a patron and find out all about those amazing benefits you can get doing that. Or if you really want to up your game and go to the next level as a writer, check out the Bestseller Academy, which is simply academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. Stay, I saw a countdown on your <laughs> social media this week. What on earth's going on in your world? Well, I, I woke up early in the week and realised, oh, blimmin' It's a month until the launch of Babes in the Wood, which is my second, which is a Woodville book. I, I thought I better start doing something about that. So uh, long-term listeners will know we've had all sorts of deep dives on how to launch a book. We had a great one with Sarah Cox re recently. So uh, I'm trying to take on all of that good, good <laughs> advice. Now, what I'm quite glad about is months and months and months ago, I set up a little uh, Google spreadsheet with all the things I should do, people I should contact, people who liked the book last time. Uh, so I've been emailing people on my newsletter. So I've got a little launch team and they're getting a link to download the book and do reviews on Goodreads and stuff like that. I'll tell you what, I looked on Goodreads for the first time in because I don't go, I don't go on Goodreads. You know, I don't yeah. I don't want to go there because it's it can, you know, it can be a depressing can, place sometimes. It can be but, a good place or a bad place. I know some people that like to go every day, but it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, if you if you like toothache. Um so, <laughs> but I went on there, it's great. People are liking it. Oh thank oh, God. Fantastic. So um, so we're off we are off to a good start. Off so it's all those things we're supposed to do for launches ahead of time i'm i'm doing that now and doing little putting together little social media things on canva and putting them out there and um getting generally quite excited so yeah and there's some also folks the book is out on october 28th keep that evening free uh because i'm gonna have a, an online launch more details to follow uh we will have some fun and dressing up uh, like last time and um yeah yeah so uh yeah so that's what's preoccupying my my 
the my my frontal cortex of that's my brain. fantastic and actually you know what hearing all of how it really feels like the organization around you know having done this a few times before well firstly i've got to say a whole month to prepare like i think back to back to reality <laughs> can you imagine what we were doing in the last month we were like it was just absolute chaos wasn't it but a lot of fun but i love the fact that you know you've done this a few times before now and, and it's like you're starting to get systems in place and and processes in place because I'm such a big one for checklists and just, you know, I can't, my brain, my memory, it's like a sieve. I just can't, when there's so many things to think about. And I think, you know, the idea of kind of putting your own personal launch plan together is a fantastic idea. So, Yeah, having, having a Google spreadsheet, especially from the last book, because every sort of blogger and, you know, so I think, this can be a blog tour, you know. So keeping a record of who said nice things is kind of important and who was helpful and who, you know, and th- opportunities that you might have missed previously. So are we going to do yeah. this? We're going to do that sort of thing. So you get um, a chance to follow those ones up again with yeah, a new book, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. great. I think it's great. I think maybe more of that on the Academy actually would be useful because I think having anything that's kind of gives people a kind of a roadmap as to like, you know, takes a lot of the thinking out of the steps that we have to take. Cause there's so much to think about. That's the thing I always remember about the back to reality, but we, we had so many things. I mean, juggling obviously the podcast was, was huge, huge amount of work, but just putting the book out there and the formatting and putting it, making sure it was available everywhere and all the easy, it's easy to forget all the little things as well, which can really mess things up on, on release day. Mm. Yeah, and it's constantly changing and evolving as well. You know, the book releasing Back to Reality, what, four years ago now? I mean, the, even in that short period of time, so much has changed about the way that books are reviewed, the way that mm. books are bought. Uh, you know, you've got to sort of keep up with this. So you can't rest on your laurels and just do the same thing over and over. So yeah, I'm absolutely. on TikTok this time. That's something I'm doing. I know, I've got, you see. I've got, I've got a YouTube channel, you know. So it's it's little things like this where obviously look, YouTube's been around for a long time, but it's, you know, I've been taking it seriously for the doing last Doing it differently, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And actually talking of, I mean, you mentioned about Back to Reality being nearly four years old. That means, Mr. Stay, that the podcast is <gasps> going to be five years old uh, in October, in a couple of weeks, we are. I know, right? It's kind of kind of amazing to think. I can't believe where the time has gone. But I think we should announce to everyone that mm. we are doing a very special live recording of our fifth year anniversary. And we would like to invite everyone. We'd like to invite yeah. everyone to come join us in the studio. Now, if you want to be a part of the stu- live studio audience, there is one very important thing that you must do, and that is go to our website, bestsellerexperiment.com and sign up to our newsletter because that is where we're going to send you the invite and the details and how to log on. Um, and it's going to be, if I if I grab my diary here, Mark, I'm going to flick through to make sure I get the right date. We are going to be recording the live show. Nothing like happens. preparation. I know, absolutely, yes. You see, I talk about writing things down everywhere. Um, we are going to be doing the live show on Wednesday, the 13th of October. And oh, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm free that night, yeah. That's oh, good. that's good. Yeah, I thought I should check just actually before. <laughs> Wednesday, the 13th of October, uh, and that's at midday for everyone in Los Angeles and Vancouver. PST. It's going to be at three o'clock in the afternoon for everyone in Toronto and the uh, East EST. And if you're in the UK, that is going to be 8 p.m. And then if you're in parts of Europe, that'll probably be 9 p.m. So hopefully, and and if you're in Australia, sorry, um, it's a 5 a.m. start. But you know what? 
I think it's worth getting up to up for that, don't you think, Mark? Five AM? Would well, you? Look, look, if you live in Australia and New Zealand, you live in some of the most glorious parts of the planet. So take that as some sort of compensation. Plus, if you get up at five AM in Australia, the temperature's kind of normal. It's the middle yeah. of the day. It's just too hot in the middle of the day. So and I we're do doing hear you a have, favor. <laughs> I do hear they have beautiful sunrises in Australia. Yeah. And, you, yeah. and actually, you know what? For you guys, you're coming into your nice warm part of the of the year. Whilst we are freezing our buns off here. I don't know, today I'm actually really chilly. But please do join us. We'd like to invite all of you to be a part of this we want this to be the biggest live event we've had we've had some pretty amazing live events mark haven't we in the past but we want this to be the biggest live event um we'll do name call outs you can you can chat with each other whilst we're we're kind of and you can see how it all happens because um live is yeah it's a bit like theater mark isn't it there's a little bit of an edge it's exciting you yes. never quite know what's going to happen will we get a power cut in vancouver island could happen <laughs> hasn't yet almost did the other day but yes. you just don't know so do join us it's, it's if you love theater i mean don't we all right come and join us so pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com sign up to the newsletter and we put out a few announcements and obviously reminders close to that date as to how you can get involved in that event it's exciting yes. stuff Will be now, fun. Mr. Stay, we have uh, we have a really interesting interview today, don't we? Somebody who is talking about happy writers. Tell us about our <laughs> amazing guest, Elise Valmorbida. Yes, I got to get now. She, before we recorded, she told me how to pronounce her name. I get it wrong when I introduce her. So she's Australian Italian. So it's Elisa Valmorbida. You, you do your fingers. If you're Italian, you've got do the fingers. Valmorbida. Yeah, it's like Frederica, so, right? Yes. <laughs> So Elise uh, is an award-winning author and filmmaker and for over 20 years, a teacher of creative writing. And she's written a book called The Happy Writing Book. Look at that big smiley face on there. Uh, YouTube viewers will see a big smiley face on the cover of the book. And it's a unique guide to writing well for those who want to get started and those who want to develop their practice, creative practice a bit further. And on the back, and you'll like this, Mr. D, it says creative writing can enhance well-being, which can enhance creative writing which can enhance well-being. You know, this this mm. idea that writing is good for you, which I think it is. And it's uh, the book is basically 100 prompts for writers in the book, and we have some fun with that. And we discuss things like show, not tell, engaging the senses, especially smell, how to define and measure success, and why we and our writing rule a work in progress, and much, 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 much more. Awesome stuff. So let's dive in with Mr. Stay and the lovely Elise Valmorbida. Elise Valmorbida, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm very happy to because I've got a copy in my hand of the Happy Writing Book. Look at that big smiley face. Now, uh, listeners, if, hey, now, listeners <laughs> if, you, if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, you might be able to see it. This book is bright orange and has a huge smiley face on the front, which is exactly what you want to see when you start a writing session. Someone's smiling. But uh, at least... We're not supposed to be happy when we're writing, surely. Well, aren't we all supposed to suffer in artistic misery? What inspired you to write this book? Oh, God, that's such a big question. Um, of course we suffer a little bit. We all do. Life is full of suffering. I mean, you know, life is life is bad, but life is also quite beautiful. And um, I think one can take what is not good about life and also what is good about life. And all of that is material, which is uh, really interesting. And um, yeah, I've been thinking about this. When I write fiction, it tends to be dark, tends towards the bleak. 
and perversely, it makes me feel good. And when I write nonfiction, it tends to have happy in the title, and that's possibly because the more analytical, conscious side of me is in action rather than the exploratory, mysterious you know, world of fiction and making up stuff. And I think what happens is there's a kind of pragmatic optimism that kicks in, and it's actually the result of experience. So this book didn't come just from a theory. Well, she came from my experience. I started to notice after some time engaged with creative writing writing and teaching that it was having really positive and profound effects on my life. So I guess I wanted to share that with people. Wonderful. I'm so happy that you did. Now, that's, the book is in three sections. You've got happy beginnings, happy middles, happy ends. And there are stories and anecdotes from your career, both as a writer and a teacher throughout. There's a hundred prompts and insights, all handily numbered. Uh, and there's simply so much good advice in this book. that we, we just haven't got time to cover it all. So I'd like to play a game. As you can see, uh, viewers and listeners, I'll ruffle this. You can hear it. I've, I've marked my favourite bits of the book with little post-it notes here. And uh, I, uh, all, all the bits that I think might resonate most with our listeners. So what I'll do is I'll flip through the pages. You, at least you yell stop, and I'll choose the closest highlighted passage and we can discuss it. Uh, we're not going to get through all 100. We'll, we'll do it for a short while. But I think, you know, just just randomly pick something. So I'm going to start flipping now. God, I'm scared. Now. Now, okay, so what's the closest one there? Number 52, show, not tell. Now, I know this is a, something that a lot of writers struggle with, uh, and the, the passage I've highlighted here is, is many of us can't resist the urge to explain. Is this a hangover from school essay days or a habit of writing what we've learned at the office? Now, show, don't tell is one of those very misunderstood bits of advice, isn't it, Elise? It is indeed. And the title of that chapter is Show Not Tell with a question tell? mark at the end. So I forgot the inflection. You yes. see, I know, <laughs> extra emphasis there. You can tell I did not graduate from acting school. But um, <laughs> the point of this chapter is partly because people are told this very, very often, and it is often misunderstood. And it's often flung at students with that kind of idea that uh, if it's really clear cut and there's a, a kind of commandment, like a tenth commandment, you can just obey it and, you know, Bob's your uncle. Um, it's actually more subtle and much more rich and interesting than that. And I think it is because we often have the assumption in our minds that the reader won't know what's happening or what's what we're talking about or what the character or what what it, what this section of this story uh, means. And so it's almost like we can't resist explaining, and that can be the death knell to a good immersive story, rather than allowing readers to decide for themselves whether the character is or is not being brutal or whether the character is or is not a nice person. So it's it's about encouraging people to lean towards showing, to think in terms of scenes and to think in terms of um, visuals, all the senses, engaging all the senses, and to think of the links between scenes as well. So the kind of narrative arc within a scene and then the narrative arcs that kind of develop over scene making rather than stopping the action to explain this is the metaphor, this is the moral, this is what this character's backstory is. Let that percolate through the, the story. Having said that, there's a hell of a lot uh, to be said for thinking about the telling. And that's where I think this, this little mantra is often misunderstood because, of course, a beautifully written story, you know, the beauty is very much in the arrangement of words, the choice of words, the form, the shape, 
the, the, the attention to language that makes a certain text have the voice that it does. And this, of course, applies to poetry, to fiction, you name it, every kind of form of writing. So show not tell is kind of vapid and useless, but there are elements of telling that we absolutely need to pay attention to. And there's a whole lot of showing that we need to perhaps lean towards just to remind ourselves not to get into school essay territory. Excellent stuff. I always quote Billy Wilder with this, who said, um, allow the audience to add two plus two, they'll love you forever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Shall we, shall we pick another random page? So I'm just going to yes, stop I clicking. have to say the word stop. Last time I made the mistake, didn't I? I said now, but I should have said stop. So, okay, I'm prepared. Okay. I've understood Here my I... command. Here I go. I'm with you, I'm with you. Are you, are you ruffling? I'm ruffling. Stop. Okay, what have we got here? <laughs> Talking of the senses, number 38, smell better. And you've got here, describe, evoke, provoke, using the power of smell to tell, which I'd love. And you, you talk about things like Patrick uh, perfume by Patrick Suskind and jitterbug perfume by Tom Robbins. Smell is, it's hard to do, though, isn't it, on the page? Why? Why? Why is it hard? Maybe that's just my failing. I just I just struggle with smells. Maybe I just don't have a well enough developed sense of smell. But uh, yes, we, okay. we should use... Maybe I just don't use it enough, Elise. Maybe you could go back to that chapter and reread that for your homework tonight. Because that chapter hopefully will inspire you to develop your nose power. So the, uh, yes, and the the book is full of practical tips and exercises Mm. that go um, around writing, not just the writing practice itself. So there is is an exercise in there to help you develop your, your sense of smell and I think that's that's worth doing with your hearing as well, obviously, with your sight, all of these wonderful senses that uh, we we need to use when we write. And we often neglect, apart from sight, we often neglect the others. Um, so, yeah, no, train train that nose to, to smell more. So you can read books like Patrick Siskin's Perfume, of course, and Jitterbug Perfume, but um, you can spend a day telling yourself that your you know, smell radar is activated and really, really paying attention a kind of mindfulness, a kind of noticing of all the smells that you uh, come across. So even the subtle ones, the ones that you might not have noticed or cared about before, the unpleasant ones, not just the pretty scents or the perfumes or the flowers, uh, the strident stinks, of course, you'll always notice them. You know, who can't help but, you know, notice when something really, really offensive kind of hits the nose. But try to kind of activate the nose so that it becomes much more subtly attuned to all those different smells. And at the end of the day, make a good note of all of these smells and see what language arises as well. That can be really quite interesting. I will do that. Thank you, Elise. Thank you very much. Right. That sounds really bossy, doesn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm keen to learn. I really am. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. so am I. So am I. I promise you. Okay. Right. I'm ruffling. Okay. You're ruffling. Stop. Okay. This is Ooh. fun. <laughs> ah. 67, success versus, air quotes, success. Uh, and this is um, there's an interesting uh, paragraph here. Do you want to write a bestseller? If so, why? If it's to pay the bills, I suggest you try some other means. There are many surer, faster ways of making a living. Now, of course, this podcast is the bestseller experiment. And we've learned the hard way that it's not a great way to uh, to earn a, earn money, you know. So it's um, but yes, measuring success. How does one measure success as a writer? 
That's a really, really tough question, and I still, I still don't know the answer to that one. I just know that if if you set out intending to make lots of money through writing, there really are many, many simple ways of making a living by comparison that are more likely to bring money into the bank account and pay for those chandeliers you've always been craving. Um, people, people get distracted by the great big advances and the. You know, the news stories, you know, the, the auctions between different publishers and all the rest of it, but they are news stories. That's why they make the news. So they're the rare, tiny, tiny, tiny few. Um, and even then, sometimes those writers might get a really huge advance for one particular product or book or, you know, one one project, I meant to say. Um, but then it might be slim pickings thereafter because particularly if they've had a huge advance and the book doesn't make the publishers the kind of money that they want, that can end up being a bit of a, an ink blot in the copy book of that writer. So it's almost better not to be aiming. Um, and of course, money isn't the only way to measure success. In fact, it's not how I measure success in anything really. Um, and particularly not with writing. So I would say there's a great feeling of success if I've worked on something hard and given it the best of my abilities and given it patience and time and craft and, and I've been humble about it and listened to you know feedback and uh, perhaps gone back and revised and revised and revised and edited to what I think is the best I can possibly do. To me, that is success um, because all of that involves the thinking, the observing, the percolation of thought the processing of experience, the making sense of the chaos of experience, putting all of that into some form, whether it's a poem or a play or a novel or an essay or a series of essays, putting it into a form that is right for all of that content and all of that thought and feeling um, and knowing that you've done the best job you possibly can. To me, that is a really complicated set of processes, all of which you can measure against the success that you set as, as, a, as a test for yourself rather than worrying about what other people think of you or of your writing. So I think that's where people really fall or come a cropper is when they worry too much about what other people think of them or their writing. Mm. I'm going to, I'm Sorry, that's very long no, I like, and flaky, I, I, isn't it? But no, I, I, like, I like it very much. I like at the end here you say the point is to write the joys in the doing, discovering yourself word by word, unearthing ideas word by word. Try creating without regard to result. Enjoy the process, how the practice of writing subtly makes its way into how you are living. Your writing, like your life, is a work in progress. It's very true, isn't it? It, it grows and evolves with you as a person. You see, I wrote that way better than I could say anything like it, but thank you. <laughs> you saved me there. Okay, I'm ruffling again. Here we go. Ruffle, ruffle, ruffle. I like this ruffling. Stop. Speaking of which, 68. This is these almost segue. This is great. Be a student forever. And you've written here, the engaged and engaging writer stays at an uncomfortable peak of conscious competence. So can you tell us more about that? Oh, yes. You know, those four stages of competence that people love to talk to you about in all areas of life. So you have unconscious incompetence when you don't know what you're doing and you're really a bit of a bungler, but you know, you're a beginner and your, your, your efforts are there, but you're, you're failing, but you don't really know how or why and what the complexity of the task is. Then you, if you put time and effort into it, you might move on to the level of conscious incompetence. So you're still not brilliantly confident at it, but you know, now you know what you want to achieve and you know where you could go with it. Then ideally you move on to 
uncon no conscious competence. So you're trying really hard and you're focusing and you're thinking and it's really effortful. And you're hoping to get to that stage where you have unconscious competence, where you can basically just do it almost with your eyes closed. It's almost automatic. You can just basically do this thing so, so, so well. And it comes almost naturally to you now. Of course, if that's the stage you get to with creative writing, you're probably not engaged and your reader is probably not very engageable. Um, because I think, actually, with writing, you need to be engaged at that level of conscious competence all the time. So you've put the time and effort into the craft and the skill and why you're doing it and how you're doing it, but you have to remain absolutely actively engaged all the way through, highly, highly, highly conscious. Um, even if you're being highly conscious of when you're allowing your unconscious to do its playful work as well. So it's a very uh, trained uh, level of competence, which is kind of painful compared to the unconscious competence where you can you know, put your feet up and say it all comes naturally. It doesn't. Every new book you write is a great big summoning up of effort and energy and focus. Every new poem you make is a great big new start because if you're creating, if you're truly creating, you're making something new. And if you're making something new, you can't say you've done it all before, been there, done that. It doesn't come just naturally. But the craft, you know, the hard work of, you know, years, ideally, that you put into knowing how to most closely represent what is in your mind and heart and belly, then that craft becomes a kind of competence that you can kind of focus on and feel really happy about. Fantastic. I've often said that writing is trying to solve that great riddle, which is humanity, the human condition, and there's no solution to it, yet we keep doing it. We keep doing it because we learn a little more about ourselves. We become slightly better as we keep you know, pushing that boulder up the hill. Um, what are some of the best ways to, to, to sustain that engagement? I mean, obviously, there are courses and writing retreats and things like that. Uh, uh, and you mentioned here that the value of, of using prompts and exercises, we should we should be continually doing that, should we? Uh, if you need them, yes. But I, I would suggest that if, you know, yes, whatever whatever works for you. Because uh, the thing is, everyone's different. So there's no routine or ritual that works for absolutely everybody. I guess I find prompts uh, in daily life. You know, I'm sitting on a bus and I overhear a bit of dialogue and I think that is such a brilliant idea. Or isn't that interesting how that person spoke to that person? Um, or I'm listening to the radio or I'm going for a walk or I'm at a party, you know. There are, there are prompts, you know, thrown at you by, by life. Um, but if, if you are feeling like that there's a block or a, or a place where you're not feeling that the story or the writing is, is flowing as you'd like it to flow, um, yes, of course, you can use prompts to inject a bit of randomness into your thinking because perhaps you've got stuck in a certain way of thinking. And so randomness can be really good for you. Um, yeah. Speaking of randomness. Um, I've got a favourite one and it's just... Go on then. No, no, no. Tell us your favorite one. Go, 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 go. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just this because it's infinite. It's just to grab a book off the shelf and go to page 38 and put your finger on the first noun that appears on page 38. So it'll be up to a stop, whether you're attached to it or not, whether you like it or not, whether it fills you with indifference or not, and then write and write and write. And of course, this project never runs out because I'm sure you have, I can see in the background in your, your studio there, you have lots and lots and lots of books. So sometimes using randomness can be a great, great way into uh, 
unblocking that that um, habit of mind where you're feeling a bit stuck and perhaps you're trying the same old same old trick and it's just not working or you feel like you know in inverted commas inspiration won't come um randomness is just that lovely spanner in the works it just says okay now you've got to write about this thing and lo and behold if you keep on writing and writing and writing in response to that that noun on the top of page 38 you'll find that something something comes through there'll be something interesting in the rubbish always have worth having a good little rage around in the rubbish <laughs> fantastic right uh speaking of random here we go again i'm ruffling i'm ruffling okay, i'm ruffling here we go. i'm ruffling Okay, now stop. Okay. Ah, this is a two-parter, really. So it's number 35, Love Your Notebook. And you quote Joan Didion, who says, we're talking about something private on Keeping a Notebook, about bits of the mind string too short to use, an indiscriminate and erratic assemblage with meaning only for its maker. And then over the page, 36, Keep a Diary. Your diary is a storehouse for the uncensored, unstructured primary material of your daily life notebooks and diaries i because i'm a convert to this uh just in the last year i've been doing first drafts in a notebook and that connection between the brain and the pen seems stronger to me than the keyboard and it just flows a lot more um but just keeping random i should i should start a smell notebook actually that's what i'm going to do tomorrow at least so um <laughs> but Why yes not? yeah, yeah. So, so, so notebooks tell us tell us about the importance of notebooks well, interesting what you just said. Handwriting uh, is a really interesting um, exercise for what happens to, to the brain. So neuroscientists have actually examined what happens in the different neural areas of you know, the brain compared to when we type. And um, you're more likely to remember what you handwrite than what you type, which is quite interesting. Um, because different parts of the brain are activated. And so it's also to do with you know, motion, movement, blah, blah, blah. But yes, notebooks, genius. We spoke of prompts just a moment ago. Sometimes my prompts come from my notebooks. So uh, one of my novels started at a period between novels where I thought, oh, I'll never write another novel ever again. And I went flicking through one of my old, well, all my old notebooks and came across a note of a dream that I'd had. And I thought, you know what? I still am interested in the idea of this dream. I'll just randomly start a short story uh, exploring that idea from this dream. But I'd totally forgotten that I'd had that dream. It was only because I was flicking through the notebook that I came across it. That became chapter one of a novel. So there was a prompt that I didn't even expect to find. Um, but I like Joan Didion's idea as well. You don't necessarily make notes in the notebook with the idea that something will come of it. It's those useless bits of mental string. I just oh, love that, that image. Hmm. These little bits of stuff that just go in there. And it's kind of like an artist keeping a sketchbook going. You're kind of keeping your writing muscle engaged. You're observing, you're listening, you're smelling, you're smelling, you're smelling, and you're writing it down, and you're capturing that. And in that process, you're organizing the thoughts that you have, you're organizing the words that you use to capture that thought, sensation, feeling, memory, whatever. It can be a complete short story. It can be last night's dream. It can be how you felt after this film that you've just watched. It can be that dialogue you overheard on the bus. Whatever. It doesn't have to have a purpose as such, but it's all really, really good practice in kind of honing your observation skills, your perception skills, as well as possibly, possibly one day acting as a prompt and helping your memory as well. Yeah, I love my notebook. Magnificent, wonderful stuff. Okay. Next next random bit of ruffling. I'm ruffling now. Ruffling. 
Okay. Okay, right. Yeah, I feel bad saying stop. I don't want you to stop. This is fun. <laughs> oh, lost my page. Hang on. Rewrite history number seventy-six, uh, and cool. this is this. This starts with a, a personal thing from from you, Elise. A friend of yours passed away, and uh, eventually he made his way into the novel you were writing at the time. He's not the protagonist, but he's there. He's a cast of characters, one of a cast of characters in a supporting role. So in your story, he doesn't die. He's alive. And then you go on to mention examples from fiction like Fatherland and uh, Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. But, yeah, we can we can create our own history on the page, can't we? Absolutely. And there's something quite subversive about that. They can be, you know, as, as I was talking about there, and that my personal experience, a very small, intimate history, a way of um, uh, paying respects to somebody and keeping them alive because you know I didn't want my memory of that person to fade and I had such vivid memories of his you know voice and his personality and his his general way of being and he was a writer so it felt appropriate that he could be you know one of the characters in in this book um but then yes you can take on those big subjects those big historical subjects public history and do wildness with them and I think something bonkers and, and and exciting about what Tarantino does with history, you know, a really specific, horrendous crime or a really specific, horrendous phase of history and turning that on its head and writing this revisionist's revenge tragedy. There's something so uh, liberating and dangerous about that. Um, Fatherland, of course, goes the other way. I mean, you know, that sliding doors idea, what if, um, what if that that moment in history had turned out differently and this other history had evolved. And of course that's endless. We can do that. We can play with this idea endlessly. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Wonderful stuff. Okay. I think, I think a couple more. Okay. So I am. Um, that, that book is getting really well ruffled, isn't it? Yeah. I, if, <laughs> if, if anyone's nervous about spine cracking or anything, I apologize. Cause I know some people get quite upset about that sort of stuff. Okay. Oh, Ruff, okay. Ruffle, 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 ruffle. Now. Now. Ah, cool. Number 26. It matters a whole lot. And you were talking about a writer friend of yours who, uh, you know, she doesn't have religion, doesn't have children, but she says, I write. I'm not saying that it brings meaning, but I don't know what I do without it. And funnily enough, we had the author Abby Silver on a couple of weeks ago talking about, she'd written a, an article about why writing matters. And... Um, Yes, tell tell us tell us why writing matters, Elise. Well, there are selfish reasons, and you know, possibly selfless reasons. And on the selfish front, uh, it's one of those bizarre side effects of creative writing that I feel anchored and moored, and uh, it gives me, if nothing, it's an illusion. It probably is an illusion, the illusion of purpose and meaning to life, because clearly life has none of that <laughs> and we have to face the meaninglessness of it but somehow creative writing uh, gives you that that mooring regardless of what you're doing or where you're at there's a real sense of narrative drive if you like there's a real sense of having that project in your mind that you care about and you want to give time to and that even the most random of experiences, the most boring of experiences potentially all become potentially rich fodder for that 
project that you have in mind. And so in a funny kind of way, it connects you, I think, much more powerfully to the world. Um, selflessly, I hope we can all say that if we have a real commitment to writing and the, the power of writing, we can bear witness to injustice and we can hopefully make the world a better place. Perhaps we can, if nothing else, entertain and delight people and console people and bring a bit of lightness and joy into their lives. Um, those people who are more um, um, pragmatically minded might, you know, think about instruction manuals or um, books that give guidance or um, outline certain political views. And political doesn't have to be party political, of course. It can be political in that kind of personal political sense. Um, I think it's really important that people who have a lot to do and say about climate crisis, for example, don't just rant and rail. But if, if people, if writers use the best form and the best language and the best craft, they're more likely to make an impact on people and to influence people to, to make positive change. So someone like, um, sorry, Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring, you know, actually got such extraordinary results from this beautifully lyrical but fantastically researched scientific project of a book, which ended up leading to the elimination of what she called biocides, you know, the, all those insecticides and um, dreadful chemicals that were being used wide, in widespread terms across the world in agriculture. So indirectly, that beautifully written book has actually led to better human health across the planet, as well as the environment, when you think about the power of that. So when people say, you know, with writing, it can't change the world, you know, forget it, it can. Wonderful. I'm going to cheat on this last one. I'm going to go straight to number 100, uh, which, oh, says, which says, right now. Now is the beginning of the future. The quality of your now affects the quality of all your future nows. Now is the most important time of all. Does that mean we should get writing, Elise? Now. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think, yeah. I, I just love that idea that if we're really present now, we'll be noticing, feeling, observing, perceiving, recording, taking it in. And if we start writing now, yes, absolutely. You know, so many people say, oh, I've always had a, this idea, I'll write a novel and I'll do that one day. And I just say, why are you waiting? It's not like you need a million dollars. You don't need anything more complicated than a pen and paper or, you know, a computer. So I say, don't put it off. Do it now while you have a brain, while you're alive, while you have the desire to write, while you have a story. Go for it. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's where we're going to end. Folks, uh, the happy writing book, Discover the Positive Power of Creative Writing, is available now. And it's got that big spiny face on the front. How could you say no? This this uh, this copy is going to go in the loo, which is a cornucopia of smells. So uh, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone there. So, Elise, thank you so much for speaking to us today. This was just amazing. There's so much to discuss. And best of luck with the book. And um, happy writing and speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mark. Lovely to meet you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Do you know, it's, it's so important for me to get people's names right, Mark, because I've suffered my life. Mr. Desvox. Mr. Desvox, Mr. Desvows. <laughs> Des... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Although I will give it to the Canadians. The Canadians, they, they learn a lot from them French at school, and a lot of people of get it right over here first yeah, time. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm actually blown away. Absolutely mm. blown away. But let's talk about Elise, because I, I firstly, I love these kind of books. I... I, I've got a whole shelf full of, full of books, which are kind of like short 
you know, pithy, you know, diving, grab something, get inspired. You're not having to read an entire book to kind of get that. And then you can kind of use it straight away. And it really feels like there's so much practical advice in, in the book that she's written. Well, this, this totally ties into the thing we we're talking about, but by keeping your mind sharp, keeping, you know, this is a book you can literally open at any page and there's going to be something for you that will just spark something in your brain. And it's just so important as a writer. You know, I've been doing this for yonks, but I'm mm. still learning. Uh, this podcast, the Academy, all of this, talking to authors, all of this is part of this work in progress. Uh, this this idea that you, you, you know, I love this idea of the four stages of competence and this idea of yeah. conscious competence, always, always be learning, you know, so like Yoda, mm, always be learning, you must, yes. <laughs> so, you know, this this idea that we're constantly either refreshing stuff that we already know, we talked earlier about how little my brain can actually cope with, you know, and refreshing and keeping up to date. And it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important actually, because it's, there's, there's this real idea. Like if you're, if, you know, if you think about, you know, the tools that we use in, in everyday life an axe is a great example, you can go out and buy the most beautiful axe in the world. And it can be so sharp that if you even just ran your finger along the edge, you could like, you could cut yourself. But the point is, you know, as you start to use the axe, you know, it, it, it needs sharpening. It needs to be sharpened constantly. And I always think about that as the writer's mind. It's, you know, it, it does the job and it get and we get better at using the ax. You know, we can chop a tree down quicker and become more skilled at using that tool, but we need to keep sharpening it. And there's one thing I've learned by being a complete addict to personal development literature <laughs> since I was in my <laughs> teen years is that you never just read a book and then go, oh, great. I've just assimilated all that information. I'm now going to, I've just leveled up like in a computer game, Super Mario, level 22 mm. now, brilliant. It's not, you know, you put that book away and how much do we retain of it? Well, mm. you know, enough to maybe do something straight away with it, but it's only when we use it and practice it that we then absorb it. But then we have to go back and we reread all those great things that we read and thought, oh yeah, I must remember to try and do that next time. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm revisiting, I always revisit books, always revisit books. And I think um, it is a lifelong journey of learning and reminding ourselves, isn't it? It's like that reminder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I promised I was going to do that. And uh, maybe I'll try it this month. So I love it. I love this idea as well about conscious competence as well. I think that there's, it's 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 about first becoming aware of those four different stages. We're all in one of them at any one point in time on, on many, many different things in our life. But with writing, if we become aware of it, what did you, what did you think of that when you, when you heard of that, Mark, did you come across that before? Oh, well, I've, I'd never come across those four stages, uh, but it, it rang all sorts of bells, not least that the more you think, the more you learn about something, the more you realise how ignorant you are. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know, it's, uh, I mean, we, we both play, in, so I, I can mash out a few chords on a guitar and I know my pentatonic scales are, a bit, you know, but yeah. of course, then you start looking at was it mix and melodian scales and stuff like that. Oh, I know, oh, you know, so you, you realize that you've just taken the first step on a much greater, you know, adventure, a much greater path, and you can either retreat from that, think, well, too hard, which I've done with the guitar, or <laughs> with with writing, you can go. Great, this is it. This 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 is my never-ending adventure. I'm gonna just keep learning. I'm just gonna keep filling my mind. I'm just gonna keep absorbing stuff, trying to be a better person, trying to be a better writer, and and off we go. And if you're happy with that, 
then um, you're going to be a much happier writer as a result. As she says, you know, it's creative writing enhances well-being and it's this sort of never-ending circle. So, yeah, that's um, – it is – I love all that. I absolutely love all that. And it's uh, it's such a change from, you know, a school where it's kind of, you know, you pass this test and then you're done. And it's, yeah. you know, it's never, it's, that's, that's not life. That's not real life. You know, I, I did say to my kids, you know, when they were doing their exams, there's never a situation in real life where you're locked in a room for two hours with no access to resources or help. Being able to sort of read a book or ask for help or speak to others, that's how you learn stuff. At least yeah. I know, anyway. No, that's a very, very good point, actually. It's quite an unnatural situation, isn't it? I think that it's, um, it, actually, music is a really good analogy, especially for anyone who's ever learnt scales. Um, you know, it, it becomes like, I mean, there's two things going on there. One is you have to practice the scale to become good at it. And and then it and then it becomes unconscious in some ways is that you can, you know, like driving a car, you can, I can now do scales without even, I can just sit there and watch TV and be doing scales and my, my, my hands are just doing it and I'm not even thinking about it. But if you don't keep doing them, it becomes you, you get you, it gets harder. It gets harder to do them as well. And but then on the flip side of that, once you get good at something, you know, we, and we joke about leveling up, but it does actually work. So you know, if you if you if you master the pentatonic scale, then you're probably going to be interested in looking at the mixolydian scale because it's like, oh, okay, I'm up for that challenge. And is and that how you pronounce it? Thank you. See, I've well, learned something new. <laughs> Ultimately, ultimately, you couldn't do that scale until you mastered the first scale. So I think within our writing journey, it's also about becoming competent at certain things so that we no longer have to think about physically changing gear. Because I know it's really interesting reading a lot of your writing, Mark. I see in your writing a lot of stuff that just comes naturally now to you because it's just part of what you've done for so many years. Whereas I can imagine back at the beginning, you were kind of really working at that part of your craft, but there's a lot of stuff that you're not having to think about when you write now. Is it? Would you yeah, agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we when we had Joe Abercrombie on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the fact that his mother drilled into him sentence structure, for example. Uh, and again, that's something I worked very hard on, and it's something that is kind of unconscious and, and dialogue. I, I feel like I have a knack with that. And but as with everything, you don't just assume you know. You, you do things unconsciously but you also know enough to go back and go hang on is that right so mm. i mean i'm editing at the moment so everything is under scrutiny at the moment i'm you know enough to know what to look for mm-hmm. and that's something you have to develop over time uh and then i know what my weaknesses are i like smell you know i know enough to go back and go okay where where am i lacking where can i work harder on this uh, mm. but Again, you know, with every book, with every draft, with every edit that you do, it's it's one step further along that road, and uh, and yeah, you know, you you get better at certain things. You will, will have an aptitude for certain things. I was always good with dialogue. I think that comes from just having an ear for it, and um, you know, and acting. I think has has helped. Mm. Yeah, doing improv and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so that's that's never been a problem for me, uh, but. Uh, people who've read my book might uh, beg to differ. Um, but it's, uh, you know, other things, descriptions, prose descriptions, you know, the nature, the senses, this idea that we have to engage all the senses, I think it's just 
you know, is fantastic with a book. Mm. You can do things you can't do in any other medium. You get right inside the protagonist's head. You can smell, you can touch textures, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, these I are think- all tools that you you learn to use over time, and you think, oh, I'm a bit rusty with that one. Let's let's have a uh- let's have a go with it. I think it's really important as well for each individual writer to recognize what their strengths are and celebrate those. You know, what does come naturally to you? Um, for some people, just, you know, characterization is just something which is just part of who they are. Others have to work really hard at it. But as a writer, if you understand those things that, you know, and celebrate those things that you know that your people often have said, oh, you're, you're, you know your 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 page turning is great you know you keep us on the hook all these we've all got these we've all got a different set of skills that maybe we naturally bring to the table but more importantly for the journey of of learning and this lifelong journey that we always talk about it's understanding where your weaknesses are because if you know where your weaknesses are and you're and you're able to like write them down and say okay these are the things i need to really improve on that's where you're going to grow the most as an author that's where the biggest kind of upside is potentially and that's why on the on the academy we've got these courses where you can dive into point of view character you can dive into structure it's like there's Everyone's got their weakness, but you can pick and choose what ones you really want to focus on to really build as much of that. And we see actually in the journey of people in the academy how much they start to recognize where their weaknesses are. And that's why they're making such great progress. And um, and it's being honest and open with yourself because nobody's good at everything. I mean, even the best writers in the world have still got weaknesses. Yeah. You've, got to, um, you've got to accept that there's room for growth. And that can be, yeah. you know, Speaking as someone who was an arrogant know-it-all in his 20s, and probably 30s and 40s as well, but, you know, <laughs> more so more so in my 20s, uh, you know, I, you think you're it, you think you know it all kind of thing. And then, and then I remember I remember we were doing a, a play that I'd written and one of the actors as the lead actor, and he said, my character's always asking questions. Like every single line. And that's how I learned about agency and character agency and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, you know, it was it was difficult to, to take it that, oh, gosh, we're rehearsing and my play doesn't work. There's a big problem with my play. Mm. Uh, and you can sort of dig your heels in and get stroppy about it. Or you can figure, okay, I'm not as good as I think I am. <laughs> Let's 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 improve on this. Uh and it's it's funny. I mean, I was I was reading um a script I wrote four years ago, uh, which I opened up for some reason earlier this week and was looking at that. I was just thinking, what, how did I ever think this was ready to go out? You know, <laughs> all things like that. You look back and think, mm. gosh, you know, this needs to be taken apart and and rewritten. You know, there's a reason this didn't get picked up. Uh but you you know, it's just part of you know your growth development it is and actually everyone everyone should celebrate looking back at previous work they've done and sometimes cringing just a little bit because that cringe is saying to you blimey look how much i've improved i can even recognize the growth i think if you look back on previous work and you're like oh yeah this was absolutely nothing i'd do to change this then you probably haven't grown really so you've got to celebrate the fact that you know you can look back and see that there is hopefully a chasm of a difference in terms of like Alden. It doesn't make the last book you wrote or the tenth to last book book you wrote, you know, not readable. But it's just that kind of way you can see where the growth is happening in you when you see those moments. And being open to that will mm. make you a happier writer. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Being open to growth, being open to learning and criticism, and being able to you know take it on and move forward. 
that I think is is the key to being to being a happy writer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not a competition. It's not a zero sum game. It's not like at some point in the near future, you know, the president of the world will announce who the greatest writer is. I mean, I know we have prizes and stuff like that, but that's not what it's all about. It's it's about, you know, becoming a better person. And and this is something we were talking, we have the post podcast chat on the academy. And it's something you're talking with our episode with Aves Khan. We, you know, talk about the previous week's episode. Um, we were talking about this idea that, you know, writing can make the world a better place. You know, someone, Aves is writing about people without a voice and giving those people a voice and telling a story that you and I would never have heard of before. And that's what Elise was talking about in the podcast as well. This, this, this idea of rewriting history or your writing is important you know it can whatever you're writing it can make such a difference to to someone's life which is why she says you know right now start writing now yeah absolutely let's talk a bit about success mark because one thing that elise talked about which kind of um pricked my ears up was this idea of you know this idea of um you know bestsellers and and income and livelihoods and um and it's an. In, I had a kind of an interesting reaction to that, as you can probably imagine, having done this <laughs> podcast for a few years. Um, but it, I, I, the thing is, interestingly enough, I, I kind of get where she's coming from with regards to. I think really her point was is that if if your entire intention to write a book is to become a bestseller and to earn millions of pounds or dollars, you're kind of starting from the wrong place. However, however. I would I would like to kind of put my perspective forward on um, not therefore letting go of that dream and saying, well, you know, that's too that's too big a, a pressure to put on myself. I think it's really important for people, and I know everyone's different. Some people dream of becoming a bestseller. I wouldn't want people to get discouraged by not dreaming that it could one day happen because I know one of the things we've learned is all of the authors that have become bestsellers typically have dreamed about it and allowed themselves to play in that space in their imagination in the same way they play in their story. And so I always like to think you've got to be realistic, absolutely, but it doesn't cost anything to dream and imagine that you want to go for that. Because I also think there can be an effect on how you write if you're going for something big. You can, it can, you can really pull out all the stops to try and make your book absolutely as big as it can be maybe and let's get that strong an audience so i mean I, I don't know what your take on that is after doing this podcast for so many years it's an interesting one isn't it i mean i think we should dream big we should have these big goals but it's not going to happen overnight you know i i think i think the this is not a get rich quick scheme this is not something, and we these are the trouble is these are the only stories we hear in the bookseller of of the the person in their twenties who got the six figure deal after a big auction and yada yada yada. Those are the outliers, you know. By all means, have the dream of you know the bestseller of the Netflix show of the uh, you know of the movie adaptation of getting the award or, or or what have you. But if you don't love the process of writing, if you don't love sitting down and putting the words on the page, then you're going to be miserable. Mm. And I think first, if you can learn to love the process and find gratification in that, then everything else is is cherry on the cake. You know, I've got ambitions 
you know, and some of them I fulfilled. I, you know, getting a film made, getting books published, all of these are, you know, were, were ambitions. Took me a bloody long time to get there, though. A mm. really long time to get there. And a lot of work that, you know, like the duck or the swan paddling along was yeah, a lot yeah, paddling yeah. and you're sort of, you know, uh, it's that, that I just don't talk about, you know, and the number of books that have gone unpublished and the scripts that have gone unfilmed. I mean, we talked last week about Guillermo del Toro and these 20 unmade scripts and which he adds up, he thinks is 16 years of, um, you know, what he calls creative development. So, you know, a lot of people would might have written one screenplay or one book and it's not a hit and they think, oh, Oh, it hasn't happened up. and therefore it yeah. won't happen. Yeah. I yeah. think you're absolutely, it's really wise words, Mark. I think actually um, another really great way of looking at this, and it really ties into what we said earlier about this idea of lifelong learning. And I've always said like, if you, if you, if you, if you call to write, if writing is, you know, for whether it's masochism or enjoyment <laughs> or, you know, in, masochism into enjoyment, possibly, I think it's a really important to remember that this is a lifelong process. We won't ever stop writing. You know, we'll go in and out of our writing some some months, some years even. You know, and in NaNoWriMo, you might run, write a lot and then nothing for the rest of the year. You might do you 200 words a day. Uh, you might run a streak for a couple of months and then drop off the wagon for a month and then rejoin. L writing is always going to be with us for the rest of our life. So we have our entire lifetime for these great things to potentially happen and then for our great things to build towards. And I think you're right. If people... If people come into it thinking, I'm writing this book to become a bestseller and I want to sell a million copies of my first book, then then yeah, that that might be a challenge. And there's not many people that will do that. I mean, ironically, there are some, but mm. it's rare, as Elise was saying. But I think if you're going to be writing for the rest of your life, hold on to those big dreams. And then it, it might be that it's for you 10 years down the road that you maybe are thinking of becoming a New York Times bestseller. Or for you, it might be three years down the road that you're actually planning to finish your first book. I mean, it all depends on your own personal journey and it's, and it's, it's, it's really important. I find, I find it very motivating in my, in my world that when I have a really big goal that I'm aiming for, if I really want that to happen, it, I find it helps motivate me on the day to day. It gets me out of bed writing or doing the business idea or whatever it might be on a day to day basis. And that's the bit that keeps us going. And there's so many different ways to do that. Hopefully this podcast is that for many people, you know, it gives them that boost of inspiration. But I think the dream, if you connect with it, it really can keep you going through the hard times as well. I mean, I find just the process of writing is what keeps me. I, I just enjoy writing. Yeah. And this is this is why writers are exploited so much because we would do it for free. Do it for well, free. A lot of us do. do it for free. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Still, I still do free writing. I know I shouldn't. And that's but, that's know, the arts. But, you know, that's music. That's painting. That's sculpting. Like yeah, you yeah, name yeah. it, right? It's yeah, the arts, yeah. but yeah, definitely yeah. writing. But so, that whole thing, if you can do something you, you love and get paid for it, then you should be happy. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, the thing that motivates, but at the back of my mind, there is, I'd love to get this published. I'd love to get this on the screen. Uh, I'd love, you know, to, We've I can't announce anything, but we've heard something about the distribution of my film, which is making me thinking, oh, good. People are actually going to get to see this one, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, but immediately, John and I were going, oh, God, 
people are actually going to see this one. Beware the dream sometimes. Be careful what you wish for, you know. Uh, And sometimes these things can be really anticlimactic as well, you know. I've spoke about this before, about, you know, we all build up to publication day, and then you can think, is that it? You know, is that all there is? And that's that's not it, because, you know, there's other joys to come down the road. But for me sitting at that desk over there and scribbling and typing or whatever is is what brings me most happiness but yeah the dreams are there um but they're not the be all and end all mm, absolutely now i think this is a first we're coming up to five years of the podcast as we mentioned i think that's the first time i've ever heard you end an interview mark by telling the uh, author that you're gonna put their book in the toilet <laughs> In the bowl, I, I, we have we have a you know we have a little rack of books and copies of magazines and private eye and stuff like that. So uh, yes, yes. Well, that that's what this book is for, but isn't let, it? I mean, let me tell it. you, bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Do you know what though? Do you know what that a book that gets that honour is oh. one of the chosen few in my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I go yeah. into my library typically once a month, like to mix it up a bit. <laughs> Go into my. It sounds very posh, doesn't it? My library. Okay, the room where I have my bookcases. I'm imagining like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. You walk in there yeah. and it's wall to wall. There's ladders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ladders and like little little elves going up and down and picking things. No, I actually do have. I actually have three massive ornate bookshelves that have been built from um, an old wooden bridge, and they 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 use the woods and it's, it's super and they're massive so i've got a lot of books i've got a lot of books but i do look at those bookshelves i scan them and i and i pick about four or five out each month and they become my loo or toilet reading pile and it's not just for me i i, I think oh, i might drop a few there for the kids hoping they might maybe pick a few tips up you know how to anyway you know how to keep your old man you know in in in, in beer and wine <laughs> in his old age all that kind of stuff but i must say there is a downside to this. There's a big downside to this. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that will appreciate when I say that the problem with finding those great books are pins and needles and cramps. <laughs> and you all know what I'm talking about. And, and the worst thing of all, the worst thing of all is what I call the temporary butt ring, which can last for up to 24 hours. When you, and so it's a bit of a... Bless, blessing and a curse when you have a good book by the Thank toilet. you for putting that image in all of our listeners' minds. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, let me look at the subscriber account. We have ding, to be ding, real. Ding, ding. <laughs> we, exactly. We have to be real about these challenges. So you kind of got. So so I think it's an honour. I think it's an honour that at least. So what's in what's in your loo at the moment then? What's what, what, what? Okay, what's in my? I always have something fun. Says Calvin and Hobbes, because I just. Nice. I yeah. just love Calvin and Hobbes. Takes me back to my childhood. Um, I have uh, a book called Bezonomics, which is a, a book about <laughs> Amazon. Bezos. <laughs> How Amazon yeah. started, yeah. which is a very interesting read. Um, I I also have a, a book called, um, wait, no, which one is it? It's a, I always have a Wayne Dyer book because he's always one of my, and, and again, I'll tell you what, most of the books I do have, they're these pithy, you know, open it up, read something, Yep. you know for half a, half a minute and you could um yeah. those are the best kind which is why i think elisa's book um you know works is like because otherwise when do you just pick a book like that up and read it for half a minute and put it down i mean in your typical day it's got to be in your way if you like it's got to be placed somewhere where you're going to pick it up 
Okay, um, well, look, you're going to have to do a photo and put that on social media. Hashtag Lou Books. So, Lou listeners, books. Uh, yes. do us, uh, send us a picture, tag us, tag Love us it. at Bestseller XP. Hashtag Lou Books. L O O B O O K S. Can I? Sorry, go on, Lou. Sorry, I was just going to say, can we just put a disclaimer on here, though, folks? If you are going to take this photo, we don't want selfies. No, we want a photo <laughs> of the books. The books. All right, yeah. not you yeah. on the toilet. With your books. <laughs> I just wanted yeah. to know that. Because you know what's going to happen, Mark, don't you? You absolutely know what's going to happen. Scandal. Oh, um, my gosh. Well, you never know, from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> could do, actually. Lou Books. Actually, Lou Books. Yeah. Lou Books. So you, American you, friends. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. This could and, be the um, biggest thing. This could be the biggest... <laughs> This could put oh, the, the, the irony. After on the five map. years, Can you it was there in front of us all the time. All the time, we just twice didn't a day. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, we could absolutely wipe this clean, couldn't we? Oh if, if God, this takes let's off. stop. <laughs> right, time to go. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> oh dearie me, you got mm. to laugh. <clears throat> anyway, composing ourselves. Um, yes, we we would like to. Um, Firstly, talk about a new little feature that we have on this show called Spotlight, which is where we highlight some amazing things that have been happening by some of our listeners who become Academy members um, at the Bestseller Academy. And this week, we are honoring none other than Michael Kelly. And Michael has released his book, The Lost Theory. It's his debut Mm. novel. Uh, Michael's background is he's a he's a former lawyer and um, worked on Wall Street, very successful career on Wall Street, and then set up his own investment company. But then turned to his love, which was writing. And Michael has released his book, The Lost Theory, um, just recently, a couple of weeks ago. And drum roll, Mark, he got the bestseller flag on Amazon, Amazing. number one bestseller. Fantastic. We salute you, we salute you, Michael. Brilliant. Brilliant news, Michael. We're absolutely uh, so, so excited for you. So as part of our spotlight, we always like to give you a little taster about what what the book's around. Well, like this, this is, in, yeah, this is, this is a good one, isn't it? Embarking on a thrilling international quest to unlock the mysteries of the universe. Uh, Sean McQueen is a staid middle-aged New York uh, University le- literature professor, professor leading an uneventful life until he discovers a cryptic letter from his intellectually and poetically gifted best friend, Dylan Byrne. Following years of extensive research, Dylan claims that he has discovered the theory of everything, a revelation that promises to alter man's view of existence by reconciling science with spirituality. The two men arrange a meeting to discuss the paradigm-shifting theory, but after Dylan never shows, Sean discovers his friend has died under mysterious circumstances, mm-hmm. and the theory has gone missing. And I mean, it finishes this is, up by, this is great, this, isn't it? This is amazing. It says, The Lost Theory is an exhilarating adventure of self-discovery full of magical realism, mystery, and romance, all wrapped up in into a story of overflowing with wit, intrigue, and a sense of ultimate redemption. I mean, this is, if, if you love your Dan Brown, if you love your Dan Brown stuff, this is for you. Uh, and it looks, at the cover is astonishing. Check out his brilliant. website as well, michaelkellyauthor.com. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, as author websites go, you've got to check this out. Uh, yeah. yeah, looks just incredible. We'll put links to that in the 
the show notes so you can check that out. Um, Michael, we salute you, sir. This is just astonishing stuff. Absolutely brilliant. You know, getting the book, we all know how huge it is to release your first book. It's even huger then to get a bestseller number one flag on Amazon. But almost... I think as good as that are the five-star ratings as well. Um, I remember this with Back to Reality. It was so lovely to get that feedback. And, and Michael's on his book, just looking at it now, you know, he's got 26 five-star ratings already having just uh, launched it with things like a real page turner, original voice I must read, shook my snow globe. To I love that. Vision. Shook my snow <laughs> That is such that, first of all, that's from Michael E. Grisso. That's a fact. We, we, Live and die for reviews like that. Shook. That's the. Oh, we talk about writing is important. You want to shake someone's snow globe. That's what Absolutely. you want to do. So yeah, fantastic. But yeah, Absolutely a real brilliant. theme of um, wonderful storytelling. Must reads a legend in the making. Awesome book. I mean, brilliant stuff, Michael. So congratulations to you, and we honour you, Huge sir. Congrats. And do check it out on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Lost Theory. The Lost Theory. Absolutely. So, Mr. Stay, it's been absolutely marvellous today. We've, uh, we're running out of time. We've been chatting for so long. We're going to um, remind people, I think, where they can find us on social media. Yes, come say hello. Drop us a line. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a little contact tab there. We're on Facebook, uh, Bestseller Experiment, and Twitter and Instagram. And just very quickly... Um, we're indebted to Ivan Wainwright on uh, Twitter. Uh, you remember with our Steve Kavanagh episode, uh, Mr. D, you, you asked the question, well, Ivan says, I've just listened to this episode with Steve Kavanagh, and Mr. D asked, how many tennis courts would Steve Kavanagh's 300,000 book sales cover? So Ivan's done the maths. He's estimated the si average size of um, uh, Steve's books and the size of a tennis court. Uh, so one tennis court holds 10,286 books. So 300,000 sa sales would cover 29 tennis courts, if my maths is right. So wow. Ivan Wayne right thank you so much what a brilliant <laughs> visual that's like bigger than Wimbledon I think that's fantastic <laughs> Ivan we salute you I love it I love it when when our listeners do this and we also had uh, Christopher Wills as well tell us about where oh, he this was, was most most like to have his book tour this is this is great because this is on the FS Khan episode, but he's referring to an episode we did with Eric D. Microns, whose film was uh, his book was made into a film because it was left in a uh, a hostel in Nepal. So Christopher says, "Great show as always, uh, as always. If I was to have a book tour, I would like one of my main stops to be a hostel in Nepal because I hear great things can happen to books found in that hostel or any bookshop that uh, FS frequents because it sounds like he's with his love of reasons for prevarication. He might even buy my book." And the vest, as he said earlier uh, on that episode, the booksellers in Lahore, Pakistan, light up when they see him because he's got something like 4,000 books uh, at the moment and probably buys as many each weekend when, when out shopping. So, uh, yeah, fantastic stuff. So, folks, yeah, do drop us a line. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what's in your loo. Absolutely. Oh, that's come out wrong, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag loo books. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, Mark, this is going to be the biggest tagged <laughs> and you know what it's it's gonna be it's gonna there's gonna be an absolute dumping of tweets and all kinds happening and if this goes viral and this go and this this kind of and everyone and, and there'll be people all around the world just putting photos of the loo book with no idea where this originally started so you heard it here folks hashtag loo books rock and roll excellent 
So everyone, uh, <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this rather surreal episode today. Uh, we've really gone around the houses, haven't we? We've, we've covered quite a lot. And we do hope that you have an amazing writing week. We really hope that you've been inspired if you felt down the pan and you down and out with your, with your writing. <laughs> it is now the time to get back into it and get started. And if you're absolutely cruising, if everything's flowing and coming out beautifully, then just keep going. Keep that momentum flowing. And we'll always be here to inspire you through the good and the bad times. So, Mr. State, it's been an absolute pleasure this week, sir, as always. <laughs> it's a very goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye! Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs>